0: Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now, here's Pastor Chris with today's message.
1: I invite you. If you brought a copy of the Scriptures, would you open with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter nine? Hebrews chapter nine. We're going to continue in our series this morning, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse fifteen. If you'll find your way there, and uh, just hold on to that. We're going to finish chapter nine, Lord willing, this morning. And uh, man, it is good to see you. It's good to be in the room with you today. Uh, grateful that uh, you're here. And uh, we get to celebrate together. Pastor Jordan mentioned that today is uh, Fill the Tank Sunday. And you may say, don't we fill the tank every week? Matter of fact, we'd never leave it unfilled unless there's something broke about it, all right? But here's what we said. What if we put a a stake in the ground, made a mark, and said this is the day for folks who, who have maybe been wrestling back and forth, should I make my public commitment to Christ through baptism and, uh, and if so, then this is the day. We usually try to do that twice a year, once in the spring, once again in the fall. Uh, but uh, as you've seen throughout the last month, we've, we baptize uh, every time someone comes forward. In fact, we won't hold off on that. Some folks say, maybe you ought to hold off on that so that you've got 20 or 30 to baptize. I'm not going to help anybody be disobedient to the Lord. Uh, we'll baptize as they come, and the Lord can just keep coming. By the way, he's not hurting for folks. Do you all remember Pentecost? I thought there was 3,000 that day, and they wasn't prepared for one, much less 3,000, all right? So God can do what God wants to do. So uh, I'm excited about that. I'm also excited because in our 1045 worship service, we, uh, man, we get the blessed privilege to be able to uh, lay hands on and commission Harold and Deborah who are uh, leaving us this coming week and headed to South Asia for their first assignment with a company. And uh, they, are, they are headed to a region that you've already heard about this morning. If you want to know more about that you catch me or one of the Acts 1-8 team or Pastor Charles later will tell you about that. We'll also be sending out Brent and Holly and Tyson who will uh, be on the same flight with them and headed to the same region and uh, uh, it's why why, Chris? Because it's important because there are people that live every day without hope of the gospel and uh, God said that's a problem but The church is the answer to that problem and not the church some other place, the church here, the church here, the church us. And uh, so we're excited about that and you may say well hey listen I normally leave after the 915 service this would be a great day for you to hang around for a commissioning all right because it's a special time among the church family and we'd love for you to be a part of that if you'd like to do it and then tonight six o'clock we're going to gather back together we're going to have a time of praise and worship together and then we're going to celebrate in baptism and then we're going to do what Baptists do we're going to eat some stuff that'll be prepared for us. Uh, a little reception over in the Lewis building. So I hope you'll come back and be with us tonight at 6 o'clock. You say, man, I normally watch 60 minutes at 6 o'clock. At DVR will be your friend. I'm telling you, in fact, if we start at 6, I imagine it starts after that. So you'll be fine. All right? So are you all good this morning? Yeah. Good. You're in Hebrews 9? Yeah. Good. Let me introduce the message this way. Many, uh, many years ago, I, I worked in the field of sales. I worked in Commercial sales, and uh, was working for an office equipment company in Greenville, South Carolina. I went to work there when I left law enforcement, and uh, uh, I sold office equipment, copiers, and printers, and fax machines, stuff like that. You say, "What a glorious thing!" Yeah, that's what I thought. All right, I mean, there's nothing glorious about it. Nobody even wants to know you, the copier guys, around. Unless it breaks and then they want the dude around and then they want him to leave quickly. All right. So I got that. I do. But uh, hey, it paid. A, I, I, here's what I liked better than copiers. I like living indoors and having food to eat. All right. So it provided well for my family every year. Our company, the leadership, would take a look at what we had done last year and what their objectives were for next year, and they would sit down and they would develop a compensation plan that they felt like would get us from where we were to where they wanted us to be. And then about a a day after they would give us that plan, there were a group of us that would go sit down at the the hamburger joint with a... with that compensation plan, and we would go through it and try to figure out how can we maximize this for our own earning potential based on what they did. You say, well, why didn't you do that when you went to work there? Because the plan had changed. See, every year they changed the plan, so every year we had to adapt to the new plan. I could still sell like I'd sold before, but if I did, I probably wouldn't make the same money I made before because the plan had changed. And when the plan changes, you have to change the way you go about it in order to maximize what you get. Now that in a very very small way is an analogy to what we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 9. The Jewish people had been raised up to think of the covenant with God in a particular way and the writer of Hebrews said the clan has changed. The covenant has changed. It's a new covenant. No need to hang out in the old. You can press forward to the new but you need to know how to engage in this new covenant plan. So, as we continue in the study, we've got to bear in mind the theme. The theme is that Christ is superior. It's not just that the plan changed, it's that the plan's better that's changed. It's not just that the parties have changed, it's that the party is better that's changed. Jesus is better. The writer's been careful with great pain to show us this all throughout the letter. He said that Jesus is better than the angels, Jesus is better than Moses, Jesus is better than the law, Jesus is better than the priesthood, and now the covenant in Christ, the one He provides, is better because He's a better mediator for a better hope. That's what I want to show you this morning in Hebrews 9. We're going to begin in verse 15, and can I invite you, if you're able, would you stand with me in honor of the Word of God? Hebrews 9 and verse 15, if you're joining us from home, we're honored that you're here with us. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation, and I trust you'll follow along with us. Hebrews 9 and verse 15, the Bible says, For this reason, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who've been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance for Where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And, and according to the law, one may, almost, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor was it that he would offer himself often, As the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own, otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. Would you pause and pray with me? Father, would you in these moments help us to grasp and understand not only the truth of the Word, but the beauty of what you've accomplished in Christ. How He is the better mediator and how in Him we have a greater hope. So I pray today, Lord, that there would be those among us who not only would be strengthened and encouraged in the faith, but I pray that there are some here that today would be a launching point and a stepping out place of faith in you. Lord, that's not my business. It's yours. So I want to commit that to you and just ask for your help as we simply want to understand the truth of your word and allow you to do what you do that we might praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You be seated. Thank you for standing. If you'd like to follow along, there's an outline that's available for you. You can find that at the information they put up on the screens or right at your feet is a QR code. And it's kind, of like the, it's kind of like the hub of information at Englewood. If you scan that, we can connect you to a number of different things that'd be helpful to you, including an outline of today's message. I want to show you three truths about Jesus that give us hope for today and beyond. Three truths about Jesus that I want you to notice with me. Notice, first of all, as we follow the argument or the discussion or the the assertions of the writer, I want you to notice with me, first of all, that Jesus is a superior mediator. Mediator. He's a superior mediator. Now, verse 15 kind of serves somewhat as the thesis of the argument that we find. Verse 15 kind of encapsulates it all. It expresses the mediatorial role of Jesus in the new covenant. It expresses the means by which the covenant is brought about or effected. And it expresses the hope that we can draw from the new covenant. But I want to give you a word of caution. Sometimes when we think of the word mediator, we think of it solely in our Western context. We might think of a mediator like an arbitrator, someone who comes along and says, well, what is it you want? And then comes over to the other party and says, well, what is it you want? And then tries to find a way to get each party to compromise a little bit so that they can get to what, so so that everybody wins. That may work if you're buying a car. It may work if you're negotiating for a lawnmower. It doesn't work when it comes to salvation. It doesn't come that way when it deals with God that's not even the idea that's here we think of it as one who brings together and brings compromise until you get to a place of agreement but the word mediator here simply it means differently it's the Greek word my and and it means one who mediates in order to remove a disagreement the early church father Irenaeus helps us with understanding this he says quote For it was incumbent upon the mediator between God and men by his relationship to both to bring both to friendship and concord. That means harmony. To bring both to friendship and harmony and present man to God while he revealed God to man. Here's what he means. Jesus never negotiates God's standard of righteousness downward. Rather, He uncompromisingly reveals it in its perfection. He then brings fallen, sinful, broken humanity like you and I upward by not not looking at our perfection, but by perfecting our efforts. Actually, he doesn't really perfect our efforts. He makes us perfect by his effort, by Here's what theologians say, by imputed righteousness or by crediting to us his achieved perfection as we trust in him by faith. Crediting to us, what does that mean? It's like when, uh, here's what I used to do with my sons. When my sons graduated or when they got to where they were old enough to drive, I gave them a credit card, my credit card. And I said, on this credit line, you can buy anything that you want just so you come back and tell me about it. There's a little bit of accountability there, but you can go buy what you need to do. Because why? Because it's paid for. I've taken care of that already. It's covered. That's what goes on here. Jesus says, whatever you've done, whatever you will do, whatever has been done to you, I have, in fact, accomplished the redemption for all of that. And if you'll receive that by faith, then you'll experience what it is to have, what it is to live under this new covenant. That's what the new covenant is. Look at verse 15 again. For this reason He, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Let's unpack that a little bit. The word covenant there. It's a, it's Hebrew cognate is the Greek or the Hebrew word barit and it's used 284 times in scriptures. The Greek word for that is diatheke and uh, it's used 31 times in the scripture and it speaks of agreement. Literally it speaks of there's an agreement. It's not, it can be a mutual agreement or it can be a one-sided agreement, but it simply speaks of an agreement. The the agreement used here is the one-sided agreement. The new covenant was prophesied clearly in Jeremiah chapter 31 where God established a new covenant. Where he said he would put his law in the hearts of man so that no man would have to go and find out from someone else what does God say. He said, I'll put my law in your heart. And you will all know me, and you will know that because I forgive iniquity. And the mediator of that new covenant is, in fact, Christ. He's the bridge, He's the pathway, He's the only way. Jesus said, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except or by me. No one. In other words, there's not multiple paths, there's not multiple vehicles, there's not multiple bridges, there's one, and His name is Jesus. He is the mediator of the new covenant, and superior at that. Certainly no other person could fulfill this role of mediator. Only Jesus could both represent God perfectly and, at the same time, qualify men to meet that same perfect standard. Not only is Jesus a superior mediator, but notice secondly, he is a sufficient means. The sufficient means. A covenant like this that God makes is not without, par- it's without parallel. There's none like it. Never before and never apart from Christ has any kind of covenant like this ever even come into the conversation. Notice the reference to death of Christ being the inauguration of the covenant. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, for where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Now you say, that doesn't sound like that car dealer deal like you were talking about earlier, Chris. No, this sounds more like the last will and testament, doesn't it? Here's what he says. He says that there's a covenant agreement that is brought about upon the death of the person who makes the agreement. That's a will. How do you know that, Chris? Because I just finished talking to a lawyer about this. Why? I moved to North Carolina, and apparently they don't care that if I died somewhere else, it, it would look a certain way. I had to come here and tell them what I wanted to have happen to my stuff when I died here. By the way, y'all stuck with me now. I'm not paying legal fees again. So... Here's what we did. Jody and I really, in all seriousness, have been working through estate planning, talking with the attorneys, and and we laid out a plan. Here's what you're going to do with the $12.38 that we'll have left to give to our children. Here's how we want it divided up. And by the way, I didn't consult anyone about that other than my wife. I didn't call the kids and go, what would you like me to do? My kids didn't sit there and say, look, we've got a copy of a will of something that's going to happen. Could you give us a credit line on that? That that doesn't work that way. They don't do that. The will itself, the covenant itself only comes into effect the day we die. But the day we die, it's unchangeable. You understand that. Nobody can come back around later and say, hey, listen, it's different now. It's a different kind of, we want to do it differently now. Hey, you can't do that once someone dies. Do you see the parallel and the point? Verses 16 and 17 said, where a covenant is, there must be death. Now, that's the first idea that's presented here. But notice the second idea. He talks about how the covenant itself becomes binding. It becomes effective upon the death of the one who testifies in the covenant but it becomes binding through the shedding of blood. Look at verses 18 and following. It says, therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated or brought about or begun without blood. For when every commandment has been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he then took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and he sprinkled both the book itself and All the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Here's what he said. Through the blood, the shed blood, the law, the people, the tabernacle, everything was purified or cleansed in the application of the blood. Now, can I just say to you, we don't think of it this way. If you're like me, you read that and thought, if somebody threw blood on me, I'm telling you, I'm calling the biohazards unit. I want to be clean. If some, you find spilled blood somewhere, you've got to call somebody. They need gloves and, and uh cleaning agents and all that stuff, we need to get rid of the blood. But hey, listen, as the writer of Hebrews expresses it, apart from applied blood, there's actually no purification. There's just, a, 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 there's just an, an object. But when the blood supplied, now this that was natural, that was empty, that was vain, that was man-made with the shedding of blood, it's now Purified, It's now made holy. The argument is that as he lays it out, it's always been that way. That goes to demonstrate, by the way, if you ever like to discuss these things with people, it goes to demonstrate that Jesus could not have lived a long and normal life, dying of natural causes at the end of many years. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He wasn't just a guru who had good good ideas, good philosophies, good plans. He didn't have a nice smile and a book deal like some people who might tell you you can get your best life by Friday. Jesus, in fact, died early, young, in the prime of His life. And not from natural causes, but rather by shed blood in our place. The historical lens of verses 23 to 25 helps us. It tells us that while the blood of bulls and goats are used to purify the tabernacle and the people, that these things are only copies of and foreshadow a greater spiritual reality in heaven. And while they may be used to purify the copy, in the greater tabernacle, remember that from last week, in the greater holy place in the very presence of God the only thing that could purify that place that could only thing that could set it apart and make it holy in that place would be a different kinda blood sacrifice not one of bloods of bulls and goats but rather of the son of God himself now I'll just say to you that and believe it or not as old as I am I'm a little young to remember when this happened but many years ago Liberal theologians coined this idea. They took this whole teaching about the shedding of blood and they, they gave it a pejorative, a, a, a name. They called it slaughterhouse religion. And here's what they said. That's disgusting. That's not how you get right with God. God doesn't want things to die. God wants everybody to just love one another. Well, hold on a minute, Sparky. If that's true, wouldn't the Bible say that? I mean, not... Not you, I mean, I know you're smart and got degrees and all that other neat stuff, but so does a thermometer. I want to know, does in fact the Bible say that? The Bible says love's important, but it says it's the kind of love that's expressed through the shedding of blood. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction for our sins. And verse 19 says, for we love because he first loved us. So the Bible disagrees with this idea that we've got to get away from talking about blood and sacrifice. Can I tell you, it causes me to wince and want to turn away. But apart from it, there is no hope. We agree then with the hymn writer that says there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all, all their guilty stains. One last observation, verse 15. He says, for this reason, He is the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus' mediation was not a past idea as though He once mediated or a future idea He will one day mediate. But a present tense idea, he is right now mediating for us. Because why? The one who died rose again on the third day. And as we've seen, lives forevermore as our king and our advocate at the right hand of God. I was reading about this this morning in my quiet time as I'm, I'm uh, working my way through one of the gospels and and. Uh, the, the smart religious guys tried to quiz Jesus. They said, so here's a question. And that's how they sounded that way. And I think kind of squeaky. That's the way I imagined it in my mind. I actually read it that way out loud in my head. You work on that and tell me how that works. Now, so Lord... So this guy's got a wife and he dies with no kids and his brother marries her and then he dies with no kids and his brother marries her and then he dies with his seven brothers. She dies with no kids. Whose wife is she in heaven? I don't know why Jesus just didn't take a stick sometimes. Do you? I mean, just, I mean, honestly. And he says, y'all don't get it. Heaven's different than this place. It's not like that. He said, do you not know that God is the God of the living? Not that way is it like He did something back here or He's going to do something over here. He is right now God Almighty. Jesus is right now mediating for you and I. Only He could do it. Only He could do it in the way that only He could do cleaning out uh, the drunk junk drawer at my house. Do y'all have a junk drawer? Yeah. Some of you got several, yeah. yeah. Some of you, when your junk drawer overflows, you get Rubbermaid, you put your junk in there, then you put your Rubbermaid in the closet. Now you got a junk closet. A junk box and a junk closet that came from the junk drawer. In my junk drawer, I found a bunch of loose keys, house keys. You got a ring of those? I've got them on a ring now. I couldn't bring myself to get rid of them, but I did take the stack of them, and I went to the door, and I said, well, that doesn't even fit in. That fits, but it won't turn it. That don't even look right. (laughs) I went through all of these keys. Here's what I found. Some of those fit houses I used to live in. Some of those fit houses I've never lived in, but other people I knew lived in, and they gave me a key to hold on to. But only one of them fit the house that I live in. Now, hold on a minute. There may be lots of keys out there, and they may fit a lot of different doors, but only Jesus fits the door of the one that you live in. Nobody else. There's no one else, there's nowhere else. there's nobody else. Only Jesus. He's a sufficient mediator with a sufficient or a he's a superior mediator and a sufficient means. And then number three, notice with me that he is a certain hope, certain, not particular, certain as though unimpeachable, certain hope. Look at verses 27 and 28. And inasmuch. As it's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. I don't know if you ever underline or highlight in your Bible app or anything, but that last phrase, I think, is critical. To those who eagerly await him. You might even mark that. Here's what we learn. We learn that it is appointed. In other words, there is a destined or set time whereby each one of us stop living on this side of eternity and start living in our forever. It's appointed. It's appointed. It's it's why when I was... Uh, I shared this with you recently. It's why when I was traveling recently and I was on a plane, I'm sitting beside a woman who's got a rosary and she is just cranking through the beads because we're in some turbulence and she's just going through it. And I just leaned over and I said, you you don't have to worry. I got an appointment. We're good. I, I know where I'm supposed to be. You don't have to get all nervous. It's good. Why? Jesus gave me the appointment. He doesn't make appointments and then blow them. I'm just telling you, it's just a, you can work your beads all you want to, but we're good. Because uh, we have an appointment. Why? Because you can't speed it up and you can't slow it down. You can't stop it. It doesn't matter how much, how much of that green juice you make in the blender in order to extend your life. That's a good steward, but it won't extend it beyond your appointment. Your appointment is your appointment. And it's appointed unto men wants to die. You say, well, when's your appointment? I don't know. He had not told me yet. Here's Here's what my appointment is today. Live. Live. That should be a sermon all itself. Live. But it is appointed unto man wants to die. Nobody gets off the planet apart from that. It's appointed. There's a set time. You and I have an appointment. It's fixed and immovable, and it's set not by us, but by God. God himself sets that. Not only is there an appointment, but there's a judgment. Now listen very carefully. There is a judgment where the judge will sit in judgment, and he will judge perfectly every person. And every unbeliever, from the ardent antagonist to the apathetic agnostic, from the one who declared his rejection of the faith to... The one who decided to wait it out, the Bible says everyone will stand before God. The one who said, I don't believe he exists. The one who said, I'm not sure if he exists. The one who said, I don't care if he exists. Everyone will stand before God. Revelation 20 says, all will face him at the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20 and verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne in him who sat upon it. From whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was judged and thrown into the lake of fire. Every unbeliever, everyone who's who's undecided about or has rejected Jesus. Whether enthusiastically and zealously or quietly and passively. Every rejection. Jesus says in that day there'll be a judgment and that judgment will be determined based on whose name is written in the book of life and that person's name is written when and if they believe. By the way, it's written in ink. Excuse me. It's written in blood. Not pencil. But believers also give an account. The Bible says that everyone will stand before him. Now, The account for believers is different. Let's do it from 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 from the English Standard. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one, by the way, it's we must all appear, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is a place where our lives of obedience are rewarded and where our worship is expressed. But everyone stands before the judge. Why? Because he's the judge. We'll all stand before him. And our text in verse 28 says that there's an eager anticipation or awaiting for those whose sins and judgment Christ has already bore. An eager anticipation. There were days growing up in my parents' home where I. I did not want them to come home. Hello? I had a bad report card, or I disobeyed something, or I hadn't got something done I was supposed to, and can I tell you, the thought of them coming home made me anxious, but the moment I heard the car turn in the driveway, I was afraid. Why, Chris? Why were you afraid? Because I had not lived up to the covenant as it stood. But there were other days When I couldn't wait for them to get home. Days when I'd done as I ought. When I'd lived up to to the expectations they had of me according to our agreement. To our covenant. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 28 that there's hope for us. Christ having offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation. Without reference to sin. To those who eagerly await him. Eagerly await him? Yeah, like that second illustration. Like when we sit back and go, Lord, it's... I'm so looking forward to seeing you. There's an old hymn that sometimes we'd sing in celebration courses in the church. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that'll be that's eager anticipation he's gonna turn into the driveway of your life are you resisting and regretting and anxiously hoping it's not today? Or are you eagerly awaiting with your eyes lifted up agreeing with John, even so come quickly Lord Jesus. Which is it for you? If you're sins are forgiven if you're walking in obedience if you're ready to stand before him and say lord here's what i've done with the life that you've given me then you're eagerly awaiting can we be honest for just a moment not everybody's eagerly awaiting so you may be sitting here listening from somewhere and you've never really yielded your life to christ You're familiar with religion. For heaven's sakes, you wouldn't be in the building or tuned into this channel if you weren't familiar with religion. You might even know the stories or the songs. But you've never yielded to him. You've never pushed your chips to the middle of the table. You've never fully committed, signed your name, yielded over your life to him. You've never acknowledged Him as the superior mediator and the sufficient means and your certain hope. You've not done that. Maybe you felt unworthy. Maybe you felt like, Chris, with all that I've done wrong, there's no way that can be a good day. Friend, listen, with all that Jesus has done right, there's no way that can't be a good day. It's not based on what you've done wrong, but it's based on his sufficiency and what he's done right. And he's able and sufficient and calling. Jesus said, I didn't come to call people who were well, but the sick. I came to take burdens off of people, not to place them on them. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And all of those other reasons and rational discussion in your head of why not to yield, those are real voices. They're just not coming, from the, they're not coming from the throne. They're coming from the one who hates the one who sits on the throne. And today, you could flip the script and yield your life to Him. You could do that today. Well, Chris, don't I need to undo some stuff in my life first? No. In fact, on your best day, you couldn't undo enough to make you good enough to deserve what Jesus did for you. But if you'll yield to him, what he did is good enough that you couldn't be bad enough to eliminate yourself from what he did for you. You say, well, Chris, I I get that. And you know that happened for me, Chris. I remember when I believed that, I was 9 or 19 or 69. I just There's just some stuff that's undone. I've, I've got some things I know I need to do. Some of you, some of you, it, it doesn't go any further than the first command for every believer's life to be baptized. You say, well, <laughs> I got a picture of me, Mom, and PayPal standing there by the priest when they sprinkled water on my head I know and that's an important moment and I'm not diminishing that it's just not baptism as the Bible describes it some of you say well I was baptized in a Baptist church but then I got saved later well then listen that's important it's just not baptism baptism is a public declaration here's what Jesus did for me and now I'm looking forward to seeing him eagerly awaiting his appearance and if you've not done that, listen, no wonder you're anxious, the thoughts about Jesus coming back. But why don't you, why not flip the script on that today and yield to Him? Whether it's baptism, whether it's connecting on mission, whether it's sharing your faith, whether it's living out love as He gave it to us and expresses through us whether it's offering forgiveness or accepting forgiveness or whatever it is, why not yield to giving that today? He's worthy. But you have to choose. Because one day, he'll sit and render a verdict on your choice. And that one day might be even today. Would you pray with me?
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at InglewoodBaptist.com next, or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.